Well, good morning. Today we're going to be looking at Psalm 37. Uh, Do not fret because of evil men. And uh, here are a few news headlines from the BBC website last week. Let's have a look at the first one. Scientists unravel why laces come undone. Important news item. Here's another one. Drug-addicted python rehabilitated by Australian prisoners. And the next one. Pig on M62 near Leeds causes traffic woes. And finally, Queen feeds banana to elephant during Whipsnade Zoo visit. Really important news items, obviously. But we live in a world of constant news. It's coming to us all the time on our phones, our uh, laptops, our TVs, our radios, and so on. Uh, I found a website which even uh, says they can help you with news addiction. They offer advice, uh, like seek, seek help from family and friends. Schedule a specific amount of time to listen and watch the news every day. And if you go over that limit, fine yourself. So have a, you know, a pot where you can put the money in. Um, get a new hobby. That would be a good one, wouldn't it? And turn it off. There's some great advice online if you are a news addict. Uh, we live in a time when actually news is coming to us very instantly. Um, so you get this little sort of... Um, tag at the bottom of your screen saying breaking news and it's really within a few minutes of something happening anywhere in the world we know about it. Unfortunately most news items are more serious than pig holds up traffic on M62 and in the last few weeks we've had uh, reports about terrorist attacks in Westminster, Stockholm, Germany, Paris, uh, chemical weapons being used in Syria, Uh, Enormous bombs being dropped in Afghanistan, uh, bomb attacks on churches in Egypt, and the list goes on and on and on. And we hear so much of this bad news that the danger is we either get totally immunized to it because it's kind of constantly coming, so we just switch off, or we get completely overwhelmed by it at the other end of the spectrum. I guess most of us are somewhere in the middle, but it can be very overwhelming. And when bad news happens to us personally or touches our lives personally, we can feel a real sense of injustice, especially when somebody else seems to have got away with a crime. And newspapers love to highlight those injustices. Teenagers that get away uh, with muggings or knife attacks or car theft, and uh, then they get caught and then they're treated to extravagant holidays to try and re- rehabilitate them, trying to get them back on track. And newspapers like to report those things. Uh, we read about car drivers who knock over and kill pedestrians and then don't end up getting in prison. They get a, a big fine or something. And we're regularly presented with these sorts of headlines. Some people live such selfish lives and wicked lives, uh, they make other people's lives a real misery and they seem to get away with it. On the other hand, the upright, the righteous, live a selfless life. There are people running today in the London Marathon, many of them running for charities and uh, they're good people, many of them, such good people, raising money selflessly for other causes and yet so often their lives are really tough and difficult. Why does that happen? And how do we deal with it? And Psalm 37 tackles this very 
contemporary problem head on because it's always been a problem. So Psalm 37, 1 to 10 says this. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. Now this psalm is an acrostic poem, an acrostic poem, because every second verse begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So if it was in, in the English alphabet, the first couple of verses would be, a couple of lines would start with A, the next couple of lines would start with B and C and so on. Uh, but it, it sort of follows the, the Hebrew alphabet. And a contrast is made between the wicked and the righteous. It's a theme which comes through a number of psalms, contrasting two different types of people. And the central question being asked is, who will inherit the land? Will it be the wicked through their scheming and their plotting? Or will it be the righteous who are humble and trust in the Lord? The answer in the psalm is the righteous, but the psalm explores the mystery uh, of those who are frequently uh, successful and are outwardly successful, the wicked being the ones that are successful and the suffering of the righteous. That's the, that's the theme of it. And it is a very modern problem. Because we see people around us living lives uh, which are very different and apparently getting away with it. We see people who are selfless having lots of bad luck or suffering injustice. So the psalmist emphasises the importance of having an eternal perspective on these things. Because otherwise we will despair and uh, that the righteous are the ones that are suffering. So in verse 1 he says... Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. I wonder if you've ever got fed up with doing the right thing or trying to live life in the right way or trying to be good. And you look around you and you see people who are, we have all sorts of phrases, don't we? Milking the system, cutting corners, fiddling the books, ducking and diving, weaning and dealing, bending the rules, getting away with murder. You know, all those phrases uh, mean similar things, don't they? And there are people that we live by and work with and all the rest of it that do those things. They don't play by the same rules. Uh, and they seem to have an easy life, while, whereas you know, you're trying to do the right thing and you think it's a bit of a struggle here. And you want to live with integrity. Facebook is a mixed blessing, isn't it? 
You know, on the one hand, it's great to be able to connect with lots of people and sort of know what's going on in their lives. On the other hand, when you look at what's going on in their lives, it seems to me it's amazing. You know, they're always on holidays and they're always smiling and there's like fantastic things happening. They've just got a great job or, you know, their daughter's got married or whatever it is. They, people present the best side of themselves on Facebook. They don't generally say, uh, the rabbit died this week. I was uh, made redundant and, uh, you know, in a gloomy selfie. You know, they don't do that generally. Um, I, I, I don't know how, whether we'd be on it so much if they did, but we have this fantasy that life is wonderful. And uh, I, I'm, I remember getting a, a Christmas letter once, uh, you know, one of these circular letters from a friend I knew uh, many years ago. And he was really honest in the Christmas letter. And he said, I've had a terrible year, got sacked from my job. I got, there was a whole list of stuff which we, he outlined. I thought, how refreshing to get something that honest, you know. <laughs> but Facebook doesn't do that. It's a really happy place, isn't it? And it's uh, kind of all successes go there. And uh, I, I mean, there's a, a, a lady that I know from my previous church, and she's constantly putting up very good pictures. She's a very good photographer. Pictures from all over the world. She seems to be everywhere, all the time. She's been to Singapore recently. She's been to Africa, you know, different parts of this country. There's beautiful photos. And I think, when does she ever earn enough money to go on these holidays? You know, it's just like ridiculous, you know, constantly away. There's somebody else I know that's always on a cruise somewhere, you know, usually in the Caribbean or in the Mediterranean. I think, how on earth does she afford that? And you get the pictures. I wonder if you've ever compared your lifestyle to someone else that's in similar circumstances to you. I can remember when we were younger as a family, had a young family, you know, kids would go to the same school and you think roughly the, the families around here are similar sort of income levels and, you know, circumstances. I remember thinking about one of my kids' friends who's, they seem to be always going on holidays and they said to, they could afford two cars and they've got, you know, and, and you think, how do they afford that? Have they, maybe the parents are millionaires or something, but I'm sure they haven't got that bigger income and you can get very unsettled are other people really playing by the same rules it's not fair have they won the lottery you know it's all that sort of question at the back of your mind are you envious about those who have more money or a bigger house or whatever and uh, when you work with people in a company or wherever uh, you think, well, that's fine for them because uh, you know, they, they keep all their money and they use all their money for themselves. And I come to church and they say, give us some money. You know, and uh, I haven't got as much money because I'm trying to be generous and giving to charities and that sort of thing. And you're declaring all your income. You're wondering whether your colleagues are paying all their taxes, all that sort of thing. And how do you feel when other people prosper? Uh, have they really been honest in their tax returns and so on? I wonder if we're envious of people who've got more time. Sometimes I go home on a Sunday afternoon and I see my neighbours, they're sitting in the garden, a beautiful garden, and they're sitting there reading the papers. And I think, oh, normal people enjoy Sundays like that, don't they? They just have time to read all the papers. And, you know, but I have to go to church. Is that, you know, how do you feel about that? So encouraging coming this morning, isn't it, listening to me? So carefree lives out there. Envious. We could get envious. How do you feel at work when somebody else gets promoted and you know that they've been a bit economical with the truth, with their, their bosses, they've taken credit for a project which they had nothing to do with, uh, you know, maybe there's favouritism involved. How do you feel when somebody's accused you of saying something or doing something which just didn't happen? Uh, it's not easy to remain calm when we see others getting away with wrongdoing. We can get envious. 
and we make sacrifices. Sometimes you feel, you know, if you feel called to be in London, for example, you know, you feel called to be here, to serve God here, to, to work here where, where there's need. Uh, and then you see somebody else that, you know, sort of moves out into leafy Kent and buys a much bigger house, you know, or Surrey or somewhere. You, ah, you, you feel, ah, we can be affected by these things. It's human nature, isn't it? Why do the wicked get away with so many things and then the righteous suffer? And the answer is contained in verse 2 and re-emphasized throughout the psalm. The psalmist says in verse 2, For like the grass, they will soon wither the wicked. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Every year, uh, the TV... Uh, features Chelsea Flower Show, doesn't it? And you have a week of these wonderful programs where you've got sort of beautiful displays. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful program to watch. And, and for a brief period, these exhibits are centre stage. They're beautifully presented, uh, brilliantly designed. And the people that have designed them win medals and awards. And it's all lots of interviews and that sort of thing. But you know, it only lasts for a week or so. Uh, and if those displays were left there for another three or four weeks, they would just end up looking like my garden, you know, just normal kind of withered away stuff. Um, They don't last very long. It's beautiful, but it just doesn't last very long. And what the psalmist is saying, it's the same with the wicked. that sounds extreme, but that he's kind of contrasting the two types. And uh, they will flourish for a while, he says, but in the end, it all fades. And that's good to have this eternal perspective, but how do we deal with a sense of injustice that we feel right here, here and now because we're still on this earth dealing with this? And verses three to nine give us five ways of dealing with that sense of unfairness here and now. The first thing is that the psalmist says, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, enjoy safe pasture. I don't know everybody in the room here today uh, and I don't know whether everybody has put their trust in the Lord. But it's the best foundation for, for a life if you want to live it well, to have uh, your trust in the Lord, to have a personal relationship with him. Last weekend we were celebrating the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He died on the cross that we might have forgiveness and eternal life. And when we actively put our faith in him, uh, our lives are transformed. We can have a personal relationship with God. He is with us through life. When we trust in him, uh, we will know his blessing in our lives, his forgiveness, and ultimately eternal life with him. That is the promise of the gospel message. And it would be easy to uh, give in to self-pity or to loathe others if you didn't hang on to that understanding that we can trust in the Lord. The apostle Peter wrote this. He said, Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And that kind of trust is difficult. Uh, You're trying to do the right thing. Uh, It's easy to withdraw and to sulk when you see other people doing better than you uh, rather than looking towards the Lord. But the psalmist encourages us to trust in the Lord and says, if you do that, you'll enjoy safe pasture. Because in the end, Jesus is the good shepherd. And in difficult times, we're tempted to envy others. So we need to keep our focus on him and remain uh, trusting in him. Remain doing the simple things, reading our Bibles, praying, coming together to worship and to continue to stay close to him. So that's the first thing. 
The second thing he says in verse 4 is delight yourself in the Lord. If you keep delighting yourself in the Lord, uh, he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, how do we delight ourselves in the Lord? Job 27.10 links delight in God with calling upon him at all times. If we're calling upon him at all times, we are delighting ourselves in him. In other words, it's that sort of constant sense of God being there in, in our lives and being able to continue to call on him through the day. John Bunyan said, The desires of God and the desires of the righteous agree in one. They are of one mind in their desires. The closer we are to God, the more we, want to de- we delight in him, the more it is uh, that we line up with his desires as well. And uh, uh, we in- delight in him even more as, as things come through that he is doing in our lives. So the wise person finds joy as they surrender to God's will. Rather than wallow in negative thoughts and reactions or succumb to jealousy, we need to remind ourselves of the benefits of being part of God's kingdom and being in relationship with him. To learn contentment and to appreciate the material provisions that we actually do have rather than worrying about what we don't have. Uh, And we regularly need to count our blessings. There's the old song, isn't there, about counting your blessings. Count, Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. You've just found out who are the older folks that remember that. It was a really popular song in 1943, uh, but still, still remembered. We, uh, over at the Lee's offices, we share offices. We, um, the Downham and the Lee teams share an office, and... Uh, one of our pastors, Gulam, uh, who's at the Lee site, she's, uh, she's great. She's so positive about everything, every situation. And uh, she will just constantly, you know, say things which are very, very positive. And her philosophy, she said recently, is that stuff is going to happen anyway. So why not choose to look at it positively? Uh, I thought, that's really helpful and uh, I need to hear that. Um, and uh, as, the, as the day went on after she'd said that, um, she was doing a lot of printing and the printer is in the, a room opposite, opposite uh, across the corridor. So she's getting up and down to go to the printer, pick stuff up, go back, prints more, goes back. And she started to complain about having to go backwards and forwards. To the com- I said, Goulam, it's great exercise, you know. You need to be more positive about life. It's, uh, it's a great, somewhat a gleeful thing to do from my point of view. Are you a glass half empty or a glass half full type of person? And you know, some people just are very positive, aren't they? I can think of people that it's always half full. It's just that's the way they look at it. And when we delight ourselves in the Lord and recognize the benefits we have because of that relationship with Him, uh, we're less likely to be unsettled by what is happening around us in other people's lives. Thirdly, the psalmist says in verse 5 commit your way to the Lord. Now, the Hebrew here has the sense of roll your burdens upon the Lord. So it's a very similar sentiment to 1 Peter 5, 7, where he says, cast all your anxiety on God because he cares for you. So when we're tempted to envy the ungodly, we need to cast our anxiety on the Lord, roll our burden onto him, commit our way to the Lord. Don't let ourselves get unsettled, but keep looking back to the Lord to get a proper perspective again. Uh, if you're going through a time of injustice, 
Uh, maybe you have been accused of something you haven't done, or it's claimed you said something you didn't say. Uh, well, verse 6 gives us further advice. If you commit your way to the Lord, God will make your righteousness or your, your righteous reward shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. You know, when the sun comes up in the morning, it is gloriously orange light everywhere. It, you can't miss it. It's kind of wonderful to look at. And by the noon, the sun is, is very hot, particularly in a, a nation like Israel, very hot, and you can't miss that either. It's scorching. It's dazzling. But you must commit your way to the Lord and trust him that ultimately that is what's going to happen. He will vindicate you. Fourthly, the psalmist says, be still before the Lord. And that's really difficult to do. And the type of silence meant here is the opposite of murmuring and complaining instead of us running around uh, and trying to give everybody our side of the story. We're to be still before the Lord. And everything in us, sometimes, there are moments where everything in us screams out to justify ourselves uh, and to cry out to God for justice. But he says, be still and wait for my timing. And the verse goes on to suggest that the wicked may well be successful in carrying out their schemes. But even then, we're to wait on God. Now that is difficult. And there is a, we have a justice system and it's important that that, that works. Um, but not everybody gets caught by that justice system. Not everybody uh, goes to prison or, or gets uh, made accountable. But ultimately, God will be the judge. And that's what the psalmist is underlining. And then fifthly, the psalmist says, refrain from anger. Now, it's easy just to say those words, refrain from anger, but if you've been personally wronged in some measure, and I know people have, obviously, in any congregation, it may take a long time for anger to subside. And some of the folks in this church come from countries where there are dictators or there are injustices which are very obvious and uh, people are treated in very unbelievable ways sometimes and seem to get away with it. And so I don't want to, you know, uh, sort of just sort of throw this out here as to say it's an easy thing, refraining from anger. Uh, some of you come from nations where there's been war and violence and uh, it's been very, very difficult. Uh, some of you may have been through difficult relationships, traumatic marriages, breakdowns, uh, been emotionally torn apart as families for various reasons. So to say refrain from anger, it's not that straightforward to do. But we need to find forgiveness in our hearts if we're to move on. Uh, because in the end, if we don't refrain from anger, it just continues to, to build up within us. And uh, bitterness continues to grow. And we're the ones that are damaged as a result. One commentator said, wise living deals first with negative emotions, especially anger, fretting and jealousy. These may lead to sin against God, self or other humans. Charles Spurgeon was the great Victorian preacher here in London and uh, he wrote a number of sermons, many, many sermons which were put into commentaries and one of those commentaries is on the Psalms 
And uh, when you read through the, 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 the commentaries, you get his notes, his sermon notes, effectively. And then at the end of every section on each psalm, there's a little section called Hints to the Village Preacher. I love that. Hints to the Village Preacher. And if I was preaching in a village, that would be me, um, because he just likes to, sounds a bit condescending, he just likes to give the village preacher a little help here. And uh, he suggests this, uh, these thoughts are based on verse 8. Uh, which calls in his commentary is called a sermon for the fretful. He says, first of all, cease from present anger. It is madness. It is sin. It shuts out prayers. It will grow into malice. It may lead to worse. Secondly, he says, forsake it for the future. Repent of it. Watch temper, discipline thy passions. And thirdly, avoid all kindred feelings of fretfulness impatience, envy, etc., for they lead to evil. So now you know what Mr. Spurgeon would be saying to you uh, if he was here. And verses 9 and 10 make references to those who hope in the Lord and uh, says that the meek will inherit the land. The inheritance of the land refers to Canaan, but the promise that God extends to all people uh, will be that God's people will inherit the earth. Uh, there will be a new heavens and a new earth one day. When Jesus returns, that's what the scripture teaches. And that those who have got faith in God uh, will be involved in governing that, that new territory. And so ultimately, uh, God is going to come and all things are going to be made right. But of course, in the meantime, we have to handle and deal with some of the injustices we live with in this life. So if we're wise, we'll carefully watch our response to the wicked. It's easy to be affected by their prosperity. Evil men may uh, get their way. They may move up. They may gain power and prestige. They may abuse power. They may cause others to suffer. But regardless of how well off the evil are, they're just ordinary people who live on this earth under God's rule. And ultimately, along with everyone else, they're subject to his righteous judgment. So that's the perspective the psalmist is wanting us to have. We're to have an eternal perspective on our lives. And we're to remember, as the psalmist says later in Psalm 73, he says there, Yet I am always with you, speaking to God. You hold me by your right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will take me into glory. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever.